Hey Shay, what do you think about going for a drink after this after this recording session? Yeah, Tim, that sounds great. Maybe we should go to that pub that's on Timber Hill. Yeah, it's a really nice pub. That they do they do quite nice ales. Yeah, good atmosphere too. Yeah, I really like that place. It's really great. Yeah, let's go there after we've done this recording. Okay, let's do that, Shay. 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 Oh. Hey, Tim. Oh, hey, hey, Molly. Hey, what's uh, what's what's happening? Um, just 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 sound checking. One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. Is ah, uh, yeah. Just levels. Cool. What's uh, what's that? What's that little face you've drawn on your hand there? With, with, That's with... a mole. It really? I mean, it's quite. I, it's, it's a mole cluster. Sort of see some eyes and a mouth and a, mole a little a little outfit you've you've made for it and and stuck on a. Some some leather leather trousers, uh, some some glasses. It, it, it almost looks a little like a, a mole cluster. A, it's a, a mole cluster. French la, la 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 mole cluster. Roll the sponsors. This episode of Tales from the Pig Shed is brought to you by the Mince and Mangle Meat Grinder, guaranteed to grind down any meat. Mince and Mangle, perfect for pies. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the pig shed. Stories reared responsibly in large open pens. Hand fed and regularly massaged for a superior flavour. My usual co-conspirator is away feeding the pigs. So for this episode, my partner in crime is the wonderful and wicked Molly Naylor. Hi. Hi. Um, This is a podcast about Norwich. We are here to bring you two stories inspired by one of the historical blue plaques. One is from Tim. And one that no one will ever believe, no matter who you tell, so you'd better keep your mouth shut if you know what's good for you. Ooh. For today's plaque, we are still on Timber Hill and we've just nipped into the Gardener's Arms for a quick pint. However, within its darkened rooms, we've been cornered at knife point by the pub's evil twin. It's the murderer's pub! With a history going back to 1696, the Gardener's Arms has been a welcoming and well-stocked alehouse for centuries. But in 1895, a gruesome event transpired that forever changed the pub in the eyes of its patrons. The brutal murder of young Mildred Miles by her estranged husband, Frank. Mildred, or Millie as she preferred, was the daughter of the pub landlady at the time and had returned to live with her mother when her volatile relationship with Frank became too much to live with. It seems that Frank just could not let her go though. He constantly sought her out and at times practically chased her down the street. The very evening before the murder, Frank was in the pub arguing with Millie. As he left, he was reportedly heard to mutter, I shall do for you, my lady. You really have to wonder why I wasn't barred way before. At the very least. Instead, there seems to have actually been a fair amount of sympathy for Frank. After turning himself in, he was convicted of murder and sentenced to hang. But thanks to a popular appeal, his sentence was commuted to life in prison. The press also rallied behind Frank. In a story about the murder, the EDP wrote about, and I quote, And she quotes, An amount of provocation offered by the deceased sufficient to drive most men to murder. Mm-hmm. Personally, I prefer to walk or cycle when I'm heading in the general direction of murder. It's more eco-friendly. I like roller skates. <laughs> anyway, enough of the gory <laughs> details. Let's have some gory stories. They haven't cleared the lines today. There's an oily film floating on top of the beer. It tastes a bit like cheese. 
I shouldn't have another. I've already had too much. I don't feel like talking. It would be better not to stay. Go home, boy. Sleep it off. Forget her. I can feel his eyes. They're burning a hole in the back of my head. Is he leaving? He finished his drink. Oh, Lord, he's looking at me still. Why won't he leave? Another, please, Maria. Thank you. She won't even meet my eye. Won't even turn my way, lest she's sure I'm not looking at her. But she wants me to look at her. She wants me to see her. See her as she really is. See her with all them. All those men. As if there wasn't a bleeding ring on her finger. This is my home. This is my home. What right has he to come here and glare at me? To cast shame on me? I will not feel ashamed. I will not. It is him who should feel shame. He forced me out of his... from our house. Now I'm home and surrounded by friends who have known me since I was a child. I'll show him no shame. What is that look in his eye? Go on. Laugh. Laugh. Laugh at me with all your heart, treacherous little. You damn us both with your harlot's smile. You cannot tear yourself from me. We're two bodies, yes, but one soul, joined before God and the law. You can give yourself to no man. You've nothing that's yours to give. I need another drink. I can't hear a word anyone says. I'm suffocating. Why? Why? He is so small a man that he cannot stand the slights that he himself has dreamt up. He bids me go, threatens me if I stay, and then comes dogging my steps, snapping at my heels. He is no man at all. He is a child. Why should I fear a child? I need another drink. My head is starting to ache. I can hear blood pulsing in my ears. I can't pack my pipe. My hands are shaking too badly. I will not look away. No matter how much you lay your hands on those men, cling to them all you want. I will not look away. No. No, don't go. You mustn't. I can't be here, alone with him. Not with him looking at me that way. Please stay. Please. No. There. You see? They'll none of you. They know you for what you are. And they don't wish to be tainted by you. How sad you look. How disappointed. Count your sins, my love. They shall pull you into the depths. And you shall drag me down also. Oh, thank the Lord, he's leaving. I thought my heart would burst from my chest, it beat so hard. How is he the man I knew? His face had changed so. His eyes. I've seen him angry many times. That white, hot fury that builds and builds. How he'd tear about the room and shout and swear. It would crash over me like waves in a storm. That would frighten me. But tonight was not that same anger. Was it even anger? His eyes were cold. Like lanterns burned out. I must breathe. The air in here is scorching my throat. Oh, Mother will soon finish shutting up and come to speak to me about him. To tell me she loves me, but I am a wife and I have my duties. That men are all the same. 
but it takes a woman to soothe their tempers and time will forge us stronger. How can she not see him? I cannot face her now. I must go outside. The moonlight and cool air will calm my nerves. I just... I need to clear my head. Thank you, Tim. Good story. Not that much gore, though. No. I was expecting something with a bit more blood and guts. I'm actually a little squeamish with that kind of thing. Really? Yeah, I'm terrible with it. I faint at just the idea of blood, particularly my own. How does that work? I just try not to think about it. At all. Ever. But... But there's blood going around you the whole time. What happens... What happens if you notice your heartbeat? Tim? Tim? Oh dear. Alright, well I guess I'm just gonna go ahead and tell my story now. Tim? Tim, I'm gonna... All right, I'm, I'm just gonna start. I am made of my family, thought the girl in the school uniform shop. I am made of all the things they've done. I am made of a man who taught me how to play football then murdered my mother because booze and sadness and things I don't know. I am full of him and I don't want to be. I want to be just like everybody else. The summer holidays don't really work when you're miserable and an orphan and your new foster brother is older and cooler and his friends look at your legs even though you are 11 and as skinny straight as a little boy. The only good thing about the summer holidays as far as Tilda was concerned was that maybe, just maybe, they were long enough for people to forget. Perhaps her story would fade and by the time she got to big school no one would know that she was the daughter of the murdered mother and she'd be just like everybody else. Her new uniform would be pristine and brand new, her hair a swishy high ponytail inside a purple scrunchie, an amethyst necklace that was her grandma's, the only non-crazy in the family, dead of course, lying neatly on the top of her sweatshirt. The problem with this plan was that you needed money for sweatshirts and pleated skirts and white blouses and patent shoes and she had none. Her foster mother Karen was a lovely and poor woman, her time and money spent on keeping things together for her waifs and strays. She dumped a pile of clothes on Tilda's bed and smiled apologetically. For September. I know some of this won't fit, it's hand-me-downs, it's all I have. Tilda had sifted through the clothes with a heavy heart. The sweatshirt was the right colour but faded in three sizes, too big. The skirt was an ugly old baggy thing. The blouse was small and chafed under the arms. Had a weird yellow stain, maybe mustard on the collar. It was not okay. She was going to find the money to buy a new uniform. She was going to get a job. I don't know if you've ever looked for a job as an 11 year old girl. But it's not easy. Tilda walked the streets, a hoodie up to lessen the chances of being recognised by locals from the pub where she'd lived for her whole life before that night. She read adverts in newsagents' windows and on the supermarket notice board. She stole a newspaper from a newsagents and scoured the jobs page. Experience necessary. 
experience essential, must have experience. She worked up the courage to ask in Claire's accessories. A sharp rebuttal from a manicured pixie had her packing it in for the day. She looked again the next day and the next, and it was almost like she had a job. It felt okay, it gave her purpose, but horribly, it didn't pay. And she needed the money so that come September, she could disappear. One day, she found herself accidentally walking on a road near to the pub. Her old home. The bad place. She'd strayed this way in a daydream and as she realised where she was headed, she snapped awake and turned around abruptly, her heart speeding. She walked back in the direction she'd come from, then turned the corner and almost walked into someone. She blurted out a sorry, then hurried off, shoving her hands deep into her pocket. A voice called out and stopped her. Matilda? She turned around. It was Jill Clatterbones, the shrunken, ancient, tough little woman who cleaned the pub. It's Tilda now, she replied. But she smiled. She'd always liked Jill. Jill had let her help herself to crisps. She'd often stood in her pyjamas, happily munching Brannigans and chatting to Jill as she mopped and wiped and polished. It was strange to see her now, after everything. Tilda then, Jill smiled. Would you like to go and have a bun? They sat in a little tea shop and tried not to talk about murder. Tilda told Jill about her new foster family, the modern house she lived in now, so different to the ancient pub. How things were okay, but she needed money. Jill sighed. I wish I could help you with that, love. But there's not much around at the moment, is there? Tilda shook her head. She liked how Jill didn't tell her she was too young to get a job, instead addressing her conspiratorially as if they were on the same team. Tilda had been lying about her age to prospective employers, but she knew they could probably tell. She slumped down and sighed. She hadn't realised how tired she was. There is one job I could offer you, said Jill, but it's probably not what you want. Jill turned the key in the lock and pushed the door slowly open. Tilda was instantly submerged in the smell of the place, so achingly familiar. How could it feel so like home, yet so full of sadness and regret and fear? Two hours a day, 5am until 7am. You do the hard jobs and I stick to the polishing. It'll save my legs for the summer, Tilda, and you'll earn a nice wedge. What do you think? Tilda swallowed, sighed, nodded. I'll do it. So for three weeks, she woke at 4am. She climbed out of the window. She eased herself onto the roof of the porch, then dropped silently to the ground. She climbed over the gate because the latch was noisy, then ran to the pub where she mopped floors, cleaned toilets, and did all the jobs that the 85-year-old woman struggled with. They split the cash. Jill promised to keep Tilda safe for her and give it to her at the end of the summer. After her shift, she'd run home, climb back into her window, slip off her shoes and climb back into bed. Karen would wake her later with milky tea and no idea where Tilda had been. Tilda liked Karen, but she couldn't bring herself to be nice to her, even when Karen made hot cheese scones and brought her one with melted butter. She'd purposely leave it to get cold, then scoff it when Karen wasn't looking. It got easier. The first day, she'd felt sick to her stomach as she mopped the floor that at some point had held her mother's blood. But after a week, the monotony of work and routine 
took over and she began to feel more normal. It became less the sight of a murderer, more just an old, crooked building. As she mopped, she was wiping away memories, lessening the power of the past. It made her feel tough, like Jill Clatterbones. One August morning, she returned from work at the normal time, her knuckles chemical raw, her lower back aching. As she slipped into bed, the door to her bedroom swung open. It was Karen. Where the hell have you been? she asked. Tilda couldn't lie fast enough. The truth fell out of her mouth. I've, I've got a job. Karen sat down on the end of her bed. Tilda, it's, it's okay to tell stories sometimes, but it's best not to tell lies. I'm not. I have a job. I've been cleaning in, in a, a, a pub. I'm getting money. It's for my new school uniform. Karen peered into her eyes for a moment. She didn't know what to say. Tilda started to cry, angry tears. She hated not being believed. Karen tried a new tact. Look, I found this charity that we could apply to for the uniform. It's called Anguish's Educational Foundation. It's for girls who, well, it, it's for people like us. Tilda shook her head. I don't want it. All we have to do is fill out a form. We can do it together. No, Tilda clambered out of bed. Look, Tilda, I don't know what you've been up to, Karen said firmly now, but you're not to go out in the mornings anymore. It's not safe. I'm sorry. Tilda blinked and forced herself to stop crying. Right. Well, I'm going to get the money I've earned so far then, and before Karen could stop her, she'd pushed past her and gone. And then she was running, her already aching legs crying out for her to stop through the town that somehow still felt like home despite everything to the pub that had been home. She burst into it and was shocked to find it full of people. She'd sort of forgotten about customers. Her cleaning shift had been before opening time. The man behind the bar was new, but she recognised some of the locals and worse, they recognised her. The little girl from the tragedy. The orphan. The whispers began and the barman took out his mobile phone as if it held the guidelines to this situation. Where's Jill? Has she left yet? Tilda said in her biggest, bravest voice. The locals all looked down. The barman looked at the locals for help, then back at Tilda. Um, who's that, love? Jill Clatterbones, the cleaner. The barman looked confused. A long silence sat around them until Tilda couldn't take it. Well, where is she? The oldest local, a wizened man in a worn witch-like hat and an ancient wax jacket, looked up at her sadly. Jill Clatterbones isn't with us anymore, love. She died a few months ago, just after... Well, anyway. She died peacefully in her sleep. It's possible that Tilda might not have been able to move again if it wasn't for a firm but gentle hand around her shoulder. It was Karen leading her away. They walked home slowly in the early afternoon sun. Karen didn't ask her why she'd been in the pub. All she said was, you're a fast runner. I almost lost you. Then back at the house, she hugged her. You know, you're safe here and you don't need to be afraid. I'm not afraid anymore, 
Tilda said, and then realised it was true. Do you want to have a look at that form with me? Karen asked gently. Yeah, all right, Tilda said. I am made of my family, thought Tilda in the school uniform shop. I am made of all the things they've done. But as she tried on a brand new blouse and shiny, shiny shoes, she started to see that she was made of other things too. Of the things she'd done and the people she knew she was made of hope and the kindness of strangers and cheese scones. And tomorrow she could add to that. Bus rides and lessons and new friends and packed lunch. The ingredients of a person increasing all the time. Thank you very much for that story, Molly Naylor. Oh, are you okay now? I, uh, I, I caught the end of it. Okay, great. Well, you can go back and listen to the beginning and the middle as well. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll download the episode. Thanks. Great. So, sorry for fainting. That's okay. I mean, these things happen to us all. I mean, not me, obviously, because I'm sort of better and stronger than you. But, you know, it's fine. It's nothing to be ashamed of as such. I mean, it, I mean, it, I mean, it is in, sort of empirically embarrassing and, and a shameful act, but, but you shouldn't necessarily be afraid. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's fine. I think it's fine. Okay, thanks. No problem. Thanks for having me, by the way. No worries. Um, Can I come back? You know, I think I think I might. I, I, I've got someone else lined up for the for the next episode. Maybe, maybe, maybe further down the line. You know, next series. Uh, Great. Well, well, we'll talk. We'll talk dates straight yeah. after this. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Dates. Yes. Dates. Lots of dates. Dates. Um, thank you for listening to this special episode of Tales from the Pig Shed, starring Molly Naylor. Join me next podcast where we'll meet an earl who could be a bit of a bird brain. Oh. Okay, uh, yeah, had a little chat with Shay about your puns, and uh, she asked if I can maybe ask you to not do them ever again. Um, so how would you feel about that, or are you, is it something you want to... Get off my podcast, Molly Naylor. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.